very quickly before I begin. Time for a commercial. When you're on the internet, the internet is not a platform for you to lodge complaints against ministers. The duty belongs to the elders or whatever their governmental system is. You need to be careful about what you say about people that God has called. They may disagree with in some aspects of theology, but if they are orthodox and evangelical, you need to keep your mouth shut. Even if you don't like it, what they teach, you keep your mouth shut. Do not address God's appointed men that way. He didn't make you the keeper of the gate. And so I've kind of gotten fed up with so many people complaining about a particular pastor in California who has made some heroic stands in this last two years. And yes, he's not reformed in the historical sense of being reformed. And he has some areas that we would disagree with, though he is certainly most solidly Calvinistic. But I would be careful about bringing any kind of public charge against the man of God. God may take exception to that. And in the end, it may cost you a lot more than you think that you're just running your mouth. Sometimes God extracts a very large requirement for your actions. And so I would be careful. Whatever you do, be careful about what you might say about God's men. It's God's business to call them into the ministry. He has given to them some form of government by which they are accountable. It may not be our form, but it is the form that he has given them. And it's important for us to remember that. I try very hard to not say anything. Now, I'm not talking about these goofy guys that get on TV and they promise all kinds of things. I'm talking about wild, left-field, liberal. I'm not talking about that. Some of that stuff is actually funny, yeah, that they do it. But I'm talking about true Orthodox and evangelical ministers. You want to be careful. There's a lot of room to throw a lot of stones in our house. And we got to be careful because you know what happens when you throw stones in a glass house. You might find the thing crashing in on you. So please be careful. Whatever you do, just want to give you a warning. Do not partake of others' sins. If they're not smart enough to figure this out and just keep their mouth shut, if they want to lodge a complaint, tell it to their governmental system. If not, be very quiet. It's God's business, not ours. Our business is with our government. He's given to us. We believe it's the right government. It's the proper government. We believe that we have the right structure and understanding both of systematic and biblical theology. We have the right concepts of ecclesiology and eschatology. But I'm warning you, God, be careful. If somebody disagrees with us, gotta be careful not to make it out as if that in and of itself or the denomination which they are in somehow makes them almost apostate. It does not. So please, let this be 
used to have a high school principal that used to say a word to the wise. He'd say that and then clear his throat and I'd get up and start heading for the principal's office because I knew my name was coming up. These following people I need to see in my office. I'd just get up and go. That's a point. But he always said that. A word to the wise is sufficient. And it should be. Be very careful about what you say about God's ministers. Well, we're coming back. I'm going to spend just, if you could, after church. Um, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes, but I want to do it off the air on things are not as they seem to be. And uh, Inro will be joining me, and we're going to discuss some things just so you have a little bit of an insight into current events within the world today and why that we need to be careful also about understanding and what's happening. And there are some horrendous things going on. And we need to pray. We need to pray for especially the innocent people who are being killed. People who are giving their life and dying. We need to be careful. It's very important. But we need to pray for them and ask God's blessing and protection upon them. Well, having said that, let's come back to where we were talking about this doctrine of sanctification. We have dealt in 21 weeks with the doctrine of church discipline. And we said last week, we're going through this again, just to bring it back to memory, should preach on this every three to four years, of how we stay out of discipline. It begins simply by self-discipline. If you can govern your own life, you never have a thing to worry about, ever. Because governing yourself resolves the issues that would only bring us into the confrontation of dealing with sin in your life. And so it is, I admonish you. We have people in our church who have been here for over 20 years. They've never been in trouble. Some 10, never been in trouble. It's not to say they don't come and ask for counsel, which I always appreciate when they want to come and say, can you help me on something? Of course, that's what I'm here for. I'll try. Not guaranteeing I've got all the answers. I do not. I'm human. I know that. I'm not that stupid. But it is so important that if we discipline ourselves, we will not be and we will not need to be disciplined by the church or by the Lord. So we're looking at this doctrine and we're going to look at the negative and positive aspects of sanctification. Our scripture text is Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Pursue peace, we talked about that, with all people, and holiness without which no one will, not may, but will. The word will means they cannot. Doesn't mean they don't have permission. It means they cannot under this circumstances of pursuing peace and holiness. If you don't have it, you cannot see the Lord. You will not see him, which means you're not saved. Check your heart and ask the question, are you pursuing peace with all people? Are you pursuing holiness of life? Being separated from the world. Your righteousness comes from the alien righteousness of Christ. But the question is, are you set apart from the world? Are you different than what you used to be before you were saved? Have things 
changed in your life. Then he says, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Not fall from the grace, but fall short of the grace. There's a big difference. If you're truly within the grace of God, of course you cannot fall from it. Can you sin? Yes. Can you frustrate the Spirit of God? Well, the Bible says yes. Can you fall from the grace, the surety, the legal, forensic work of justification that God has given in Christ, paid for us? No, cannot be. But that is not the same as falling short of the grace of God. Falling short of the grace of God are those who say that they have this faith, but they don't pursue peace and they do not pursue holiness. And then he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Ah. An insight to the person who falls short of the grace of God. They have a root of bitterness. Anger. Bitterness against God and his kingdom and his salvation and his son. Against his church. They do not want to pursue peace and holiness. And thus he says, and by this many become defiled. You see, it's a cancer. That's what he's saying. It's a cancer and it has to be cut out. And we noted very quickly, J.C. Ryle wrote this on the subject of sanctification. The subject of sanctification is one which many, I fear, dislike exceedingly. Some even turn from it with scorn and disdain. The very last thing they would like to be is a saint or a sanctified man. Yet the subject does not deserve to be treated in this way. It is not an enemy, but a friend. It is a subject of the utmost importance to our souls. Bible be true, it is certain that unless we are sanctified, we shall not be saved. Well, having said that, we moved on and talked about a few things, and I said I wanted to come back and begin to work through these distinctives that deal with this question of living a sanctified life. I want to cover these various areas. First, I want us to define sanctification. Second, I want us to look at the concern of sanctification. Third, I want us to speak about the agent who sanctifies. Fourth, what is the means of sanctification? And fifth, nine directives to help mortify sin in the life of a believer. Well, let us turn our attention now this Lord's Day to this first area of consideration. Let's define sanctification and let's be very careful. We kind of noted in what I illustrated last Lord's Day the difference between justification and sanctification. But let us define sanctification according to our standards within our historic Reformed and Presbyterian confession of our faith. In the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession, it poses this question. 
What does it mean to sanctify? Now listen to the divines give an answer to this. Sanctification is a work of God's grace. It is never a work of man. The fact that man is involved is because the Spirit of God indwells him. And he is pursuing in him to pursue in his life what is the right thing for us to do in seeking to be a sanctified saint. Whereby the divine's right. They whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time, not prior to this, are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and the resurrection of Christ unto them. It is an ongoing work of the grace of God. Justification is a one-time act. Sanctification is not. Now, I know there are some who speak of a positional sanctification in Christ, declarative sanctification. Yeah, we have that. We are sanctified but we're also being sanctified. Those who are not, we know as what we call holding to the Sandominian doctrine or heresy of sanctification. We are applying the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ by the Spirit, God is, to us. And we are persevering in that faith. We're pursuing. It's the doctrine of perseverance in essence. It's the outward work of it. Renewed in their whole man. The whole man is being drawn to the whole Christ. Not certain parts. Well, you know, I'm saved and I'm going to be forever saved. Once saved, always saved, as the Baptists like to say, the fundamentalists. And therefore, I can go off and do whatever I want to do. They're antinomian. Never forget, you need to learn my favorite little poem. Free from the law, oh, blessed condition, sin as I will, and still have remission. That's a damnable heresy straight out of hell. You are not free from God's standard of morality. Ever. Thus, the whole Christ is being applied to the whole man. Body and soul are being called to be a sanctified saint. Which is what? They said, after the image of God? It's restoring that which was lost, or corrupted at least we would say, not fully lost, but corrupted, in Adam's original sin. We're being restored. Not perfectly, but when we die and we go to God in the resurrection, we will be eternally glorified. Body and soul. The whole man. Yes, even the dead body is going to be purified when it's resurrected. The whole man being called to Christ. One of the key doctrines and practices and teachings of the Puritan saints. Our heritage. Having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other what? Saving graces. 
There are saving graces that are also given when we are renewed by the Spirit of God. Put into where? Their hearts, their inner man. That's what they're saying. And strengthened. They're being strengthened by this. That's the perseverance. They grow. Somebody who says I'm a Christian but doesn't grow in the faith, you better check your heart at the door. You got something wrong. You may come up short of the grace of God. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to understand. You're going to come to the truth. You're going to want to govern your life according to the commands of God. As that they more and more die to sin. And rise to news of life. They are putting on the likeness of Christ. They're putting on through the Spirit of God that fruit of His Spirit. Walking in the works, not saving us, the works because we are saved and renewed that were ordained for us to walk in. Ordained, not optioned out ordained to walk in. Look at Ephesians. Now this sanctifying work is the purpose of God unfolded in our redemption. Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Here you have the heart of it. Just as he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, in the very plan of God in his mind. Now, God doesn't process thought, so it's one complete thought, but he's expressing it to us in a way that we can understand it. You don't understand an all-knowing mind. That's impossible. We can say it. We understand it's fully comprehensible. But that's about the limitation of what we have. So he's giving it to us. Before the found, before anything was in existence, God chose us in Christ. That we what? Should be holy and without blame before him in love that we should be holy and without blame. Reconcile to God. Blameless, our sins forgiven. And this done in love. In God's Love. He gave his son to die for us. God could have said, I'm just going to create everybody and send them all to hell. And he'd have been justified. He's not. And he does not owe us anything. The fact that he determined from the beginning to save some. How many is that? The Bible says more than man can number. More than the sands of the seas. That's a lot of people. Why does the gate that leads to destruction narrow as the way that leads to life? I don't understand. The wide gate, the narrow gate, except for the narrow gate, has more than man can number, will go through it. I think that's the victory in the end. More will be saved than will be damned. But it is out of that love that he gave. The expression of the giving of his son, of electing us unto his son. 
in order that we might be redeemed is that act of love. It was already inclusive that this is what is to redeem us. That son is going to have to come and die for us. He's going to have to keep in the plan of God as we know that it folds out in Genesis. He's going to have to keep the law of God for us at his appointed time in order that we will be reconciled with God and be without blame, forgiven of our sins. Now Paul says in First excuse me, First Thessalonians four one through five. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Notice that abound more and more. That's a progression, people. It'd be foolish to say this if you don't need to abound. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. That walking is talking about the way of life. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. What? This is the number one will of God for you. Your sanctification. If that is the primary will of God for you, the question is, are you a sanctified saint? Are you abounding more and more? Are you persevering? Are you pursuing that high calling of Christ? Is it changing your life? Are you growing because you study the word? And as you grow in that word, and then the truth of that word, you become more like the image of God in the life that you live. And then he says, what's the outward manifestation of this? That you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, in sanctification and honor. Isn't it interesting that he makes that particular point? You ought to know how to control yourself. What is the greatest drive among human people? It is their sexual drive. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. You can't control your sex, your desires. You've got a problem. You've got a problem. And I'm going to tell you now, if you've got that problem, you're falling short of the grace of God. Do you understand? There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's very clear here. If you don't do this, you're just not going to make it. Sanctification is this whole process of not only pursuing the righteousness that God has called us unto in the holiness of life, but it is the process of mortifying sin, cleansing sin from our life, seeking to kill it, or put it to death, which is called putting off of the old man. This is the negative side of sanctification. You're sanctified. The thing you're trying to do is what? Kill sin. You just can't kill sin. You got to put on righteousness of Christ but you can't put on the righteousness of Christ when you're living in sin. you got to kill sin. And then you replace it with that righteousness that has been given to us in Christ. Whereas the putting on of the new man, that's the positive side of sanctification. Old man, 
put him to death. New man, make him alive. Abound therein. Pursue his calling in your life. The individual who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who has been justified, will of necessity seek to become a sanctified saint. He will put to death sin and he will put on the righteousness of Christ. He will have the mind of Christ. That mind that will govern us in the way that we are to live. You cannot have one without the other. One of the great mistakes of fundamentalism. The great mistake of fundamentalism is they confuse justification and sanctification so often. People go forward and say, I don't feel sanctified. I got news for you. You'll never feel sanctified. It is an act in the tribunal of God where he forensically declares or legally declares you right with him based on the imputed righteousness of Christ. You'll never feel that. But sanctification takes place in you. And while they differ, nevertheless, they were a part of God's redemption. The Westminster divines anticipated the possibility of confusion concerning the relationship between justification. And so, in the larger catechism, one question number 177, they ask this question. Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? Listen to how so precise they lay out this answer. And they stated, although sanctification be inseparately joined with justification, yet they differ in that God in just... <coughs> Excuse me. In that justification... God in justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. That's what happens in justification. He imputes the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, his spirit infuseth grace. It's an ongoing work of the spirit infused in you, calling you and abounding in you to pursue righteousness and holiness the fruit of the Spirit, the works you ordained thereunto. And though, and thus we are sanctified. Adoption's a one-time legal act, justification, one-time legal act. But sanctification is an ongoing calling. We learn to exercise faith, ongoing work. We're to grow in our faith. We're to repent when we sin within our lives. And he says, and or they say, and enable to the exercise thereof. We're able to exercise that. In the former, sin is pardoned in justification. In the other, it is subdued. Justification pardons us from our sin. The original sin of Adam that can, has literally condemned us. But once we have been forgiven in justification, Sanctification is something we are to subdue the sin that we still have yet a remnant of in our life. The one doth equally free all believers from the ravaging wrath of God, justification, and that perfectly in this life that they never fall into condemnation. Once you're saved, you're out of the condemnation. You'll never fall back into it. But that's not the end of the story. The other is neither equal in all, sanctification, nor in this life perfect in any, meaning any person, but growing up to perfection. It's a progression. This is the will of God all believers that we are to be sanctified. 
Think about it. If you are saved, God has forgiven you of your sins. That's justification. You've been restored to a right state. Not condition, a right state. The condition you work upon. Remember the illustration? Driving drunk, broke the law, had to be restored to the law. But that didn't do away with me still being inebriated, drunk. That had to be worked out. I had to kill that aspect of my life. It's an illustration, it isn't perfect. But nonetheless, it's very true. Justification forgives us of our sin. In Christ, we are forgiven through his death. But with that great gift of justification, through the regenerating work of the Spirit, which is the Spirit being infused in us by God. That's what regeneration is. It is a Entrance into your being. He indwells you. With him come all other saving graces necessary. Necessary to the Christian life. You follow? If you get one grace, justification, you're going to get the rest. This is where so many of our fundamentalist friends fall short. They think, well, I've got justification. I have full assurance. And they're told that. Something we should never tell someone you're saved. I can't tell you that. I can't see your heart. I can't see your mind. I can tell you this is what the word of God says a Christian is. Measure your life to it. Let's examine who you are. Follow it? The assurance has got to come from the spirit of God. Bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. But if you are a justified saint, if you've been forgiven of your sins, then you've not only received that grace of God, but with it comes all other saving graces. Adoption, faith, repentance, sanctification, and eventually glorification. Those are all the gifts of salvation. You don't earn any of those. They're a part of God supplying the necessary aspect of the full redemption or sanctification. Yeah, good works are included. Not to save you. They're not meritorious. But they must be there. Because you're ordained to walk in them. And they what? Like the fruit of the Spirit in your life, they show that you are a sanctified saint outwardly. That the Spirit of God has entered you and He is driving you and your life forward. And you're being sanctified. And you abound more and more and more in that sanctification. Justification, a necessity to be restored to God. Sanctification must be a part of that work of justification. It's not the same, but it's not separated so far as you can be justified but not sanctified. Talking Lordship Salvation. 
That's what we're talking about. That's what we're dealing with in our lives. So this is the will of God for those who believe. You need to be a sanctified saint. You need to be a sanctified saint. You need to walk in the righteousness of Christ. You need to be killing sin, putting it to death, putting to death the old man in your life, getting rid of it, stopping it, and then putting on the righteousness of Christ, thinking like Christ, having the mind of Christ. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the work of God. It's all God's work. It's all of grace. Everything you're able to accomplish is by the grace of God. There's no human meritorious effort, but it must include the human. It's not going to be a work apart from you. That's stupid. It's got to be a part of the work in you. It's measuring your faith in a sense. It's a demonstration of the walk you have in Christ with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what sanctification is. It's not justification. But if you're justified, it includes that additional grace of God that is given to you that is necessary to drive you forward in Christ to live by God's standard of righteousness. Which we know his standard of righteousness is the moral law. God, which is the Ten Commandments. They're a measuring stick. We are sanctified by the power of the Spirit and the grace that moves us to live by that standard. See, we know what it is. This is what we're how to do. This is how we are to put on the righteousness of Christ. These are the sins that are forbidden. This is the positive side of which must be committed to us to live by. If you have no standard, you have no idea whether you're sanctified or not. It's shooting in the dark. It's hoping and grasping, as it were, as the Old Testament says, at the wind. You don't know what you got. You don't know if you got it. The Bible says you can know. But if you think you can't know, huh, judgment day is going to be real exciting. Isn't it? How much do you want to bet in judgment day? There's going to be a lot of people there that are surprised. Probably. But there's going to be a lot of people missing that would surprise us. Why? They flattered us with their lips. Or literally, they flopped their lips. They said the right things. Oh, how I love Jesus. This is Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, have we not done this in your name, done that in your name? And he's going to look at him and say, not that he didn't know him. He knew everybody. He created everybody. There's nothing and no one and anything in life that he doesn't know. It all came from his mind. He's saying to them, I don't love you. You were not mine. 
Don't be deceived. Check your sanctification. In essence, it's what Peter's saying. Make your calling and election sure. You say you're called of God and you're elect. What's going to be coming in your life? Forgiveness and holiness of life. That's what God has called us to. That is what sanctification is. And I leave you with this question. We'll pick up here next Lord's Day into the second area that I want to look at. But here comes the question. Are you living a sanctified life? I mean, do you know it? Do you know that you're a sanctified saint of God? Tell me. Tell yourself. My life has changed from the day that I became a Christian because this has changed in my life. These things I put behind me and these things I put on before me. I wasn't the same person I was. Now I'm going to tell you something. When you've got really good moral people, and I'm not saying they're keeping the law of God, but they live a pretty good life. Makes it hard for them to say completely, although I think they can, well, I give up these sins because I changed. I was converted by Christ and I started living this way. You see, the real bad sinner, he got a lot of things he could go, well, I can point out a lot of bad things I was doing and I had to give those things up because I got saved. My life changed and I became a Christian and the things that I once did, I no longer do. Now, the good moral person has a real problem because he goes, well, I wasn't really a bad person. It's not a question of your badness. It's a question of redemption from the original sin of Adam. Which only can come by the fruit of the Spirit. But you cannot walk in the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot walk in those good works ordained by us consistently in your life without the Spirit of God. Your life had to change. What you once did not believe or did not practice, you put to death those practices that are not biblical and you put on the righteousness of Christ in your life. So I ask you, how has your life Because that is the question. How has your life changed? How do you know you were sanctified saint? You can see why people don't like that doctrine. They got to do an introspection of their own life. And a lot of times they don't like what they see. They hate it because their desires are worldly and not heavenly, not spiritual. Let us pursue those other saving graces that God has given us when he justified us before the throne. When we were declared forgiven. Oh, we rejoice in that. But we need to rejoice in the fact that we are living the sanctified life. That we're doing what God's commanded of us. And so it is. That is our calling.
of God for our life. The number one thing is to be sanctified. Measure everything you do in life with the question, will this affect my sanctification? Will it contribute to it? Will it help me become a better saint? If not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste my time with it. Because this is the temporal realm. We're talking about eternal things. And the question is, is where are you going to spend eternity? Shall we pray?